Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. I'm excited to be with you as we continue on in our series entitled Culture Shock. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here in just a couple of minutes. And the reason why we've entitled this series uh, Culture Shock is because Culture Shock is this idea that uh, when you kind of get into a, an environment that you're not used to, maybe even around a, a certain people group that you're not used to, you get outside the norm of maybe what your normal rhythm is in the context of however you live your life, there can be a shock that comes along with that. And uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and uh, they're having a little bit of struggle. They're wrestling with this tension that you might be able to identify with, which is uh, they are followers of Jesus, and yet uh, they live in a fallen world, a broken world. And so they're trying to, uh, some of them balance or figure out what does it look like to be in the world, but also to be a follower of Jesus. And, and some are, are, are not doing such a great job. They've got one foot in the world, and then they've got one foot in the church, so to speak. And what they're finding is, is that uh, the world was gaining more influence in their life than uh, Jesus was. And so, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we're doing this series is because we want to be a church, and hopefully uh, you want to be a follower of Jesus, and I want to be a follower of Jesus, uh, that who views life and makes decisions in the context of our life uh, through the lens of the gospel or, or through uh, the life of Jesus. Uh, and, and we want to become uh, cultural influencers. We, we want to live in a world and actually uh, through uh, our, our foundation of faith in Jesus, actually make a mark in the world instead of the world making a mark on us. Now, 2020 for sure is a year where we all need a heavy dose of the gospel, a reminder of the life and story of Jesus. And, and it's through that story that it's going to help us be reminded about who we are and what we need to be fighting for. What are the most important things for us this year in 2020? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul uh, just so happens to be talking about unity, which is a timely message for all of us in light of what's going on in the world. And the reason why unity, I believe, is worth fighting for uh, is because, and this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that unity in the church actually displays the gospel to the world. Now, if you're taking notes, I would write that down. Unity in the church displays the gospel to the world. Unity actually is powerful enough that if it is practiced by the church, it can actually have influence in the world's culture. Now, before we get to the text in 1 Corinthians, just a quick reminder that uh, the church is not an event we attend, uh, but it is an identity that we practice. It's an identity uh, to be lived out in the context of community, and this community is called the church. And when the church is not an event, but, a, but an identity to be practiced, it has a shot uh, at being a place where you extend and you receive grace, which is going to be needed. Grace is going to be part uh, of practicing unity. Grace will always be one of the ingredients that it will be needed for unity to abound. Uh, and it's no coincidence that the Apostle Paul, he talks a lot about grace, but, uh, because before Paul followed Jesus, he was a guy who actually murdered people who followed God. He hunted people for a living who uh, proclaimed that they loved Jesus. 
But ultimately his life would be drastically changed. He himself will bump into Jesus and then he actually becomes one of the greatest church planters in the history of the church. And I say that this morning not to uh, make much of Paul, uh, but to remind you and me this morning that it, it, it doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what stories are part of your past, doesn't matter what last night looked like for you. And I know some of you probably got a little crazy. Here's what Paul says. You're all invited into this local church community because of grace. The invitation is made with grace. And 1 Corinthians is this letter to Christians in, in this city in, in Corinth, and Paul knows, he's just fueled by this. He knows that if this church would be fueled by grace in this city, some incredible things could happen. He really believes through the local church, if the people would be unified, it would make a difference in the city of Corinth. And Corinth is really this, this strategic city. It's a great place to be planting a church. Uh, think New York City. It, it's a place that had trade routes that were running north, south, east, and west. It, um, it just had a lot of people there. It was a, a kind of this kind of thriving metropolis. And, and Paul can see that the church is needed and the church would rise to the occasion and live out the mission that it was called to. It could have a significant influence, not just in the city of Corinth, but, but really in that whole region. And Paul's church planting strategy, if you read his letters in the New Testament, his church planting strategy is pretty simple. Here it is. Get along, love Jesus, and the gospel will spread. I mean, that pretty much sums up his church planting strategy. Get along, love Jesus. And if you do those two things, the gospel will naturally begin to spread. But the church in Corinth is struggling. They've, they've minimized Jesus. There's this tension with some of the rich folk who are keeping to themselves. They were unwilling to submit to authority. Paul's leadership was being questioned. They were actually suing one another in the church. They were taking each other to court. They were unconcerned about the needs of others. And they were pursuing many other things over really the mission of the church which is to love people, and it is clear that this church in Corinth was divided. There was a ton of division, and Paul's going to remind him that God unifies the church around Jesus to display Jesus, that Jesus is ultimately the thing that unifies the church. Look what he says. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Here's what Paul says, I appeal, or I'm pleading to you, Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So, so here's the bottom line for Paul. You must get along with each other. Getting along with each other is very, very important in the mission of the church. And if you're going to be unified, then the one thing that you have to be centered around is Jesus. Now, notice I just said Jesus, not you, not me. And I think probably one of the number one killers of unity is selfishness. And for a community to thrive inside the local church, we have to own that this morning, and we have to acknowledge that. We almost have to say that out loud, that most days, and I'm going to own it, and hopefully you will too, most days we spend more time thinking about ourselves than other people. 
Most days, I probably spend more time thinking about me than I spend thinking about you. And the problem with that is that this whole mission of the local church, it's not about you. It's not about you. This whole thing is about Jesus because 2,000 years ago, he went to a cross and he died for you because you couldn't save yourself. And so Jesus will do for you what, what I couldn't do for me and what you couldn't do for you. This is why this whole thing isn't about you. It's about Jesus. And we need to be reminded about that just about every single day. I'm selfish and you're selfish. And our selfishness, this is what Paul says, our selfishness can actually get in the way of the mission of the church because unity is powerful for evangelism. Unity is powerful to gain influence in the world. Unity has the power to change worldly culture. Yet this church in Corinth is really struggling because their selfishness is getting in the way. Now, I, I see this all the time, not just in my life, but obviously in other people's lives too. And selfishness is a lot easier to see in other people's lives than it is in your own. But a lot of times, and I've said this before from this stage, when people walk into our church, rarely are they thinking, what can I do for you? They're looking around going, what are you going to do for me? You see this a lot of times when people jump into groups. And I have been at Rocky for six years. I've seen people jump into groups and jump out of groups. And groups is a big deal. You heard Sean talk about it, uh, that groups is one of our main values here. We believe that life change happens in the context of community. And I will encourage people to, to jump into group life. And a lot of times you'll, you'll hear something like this. Well, Matt, listen, I went, I checked it out. I went a few times, but it really, uh, it really wasn't what I was looking for, which translated means I didn't get my needs met, so I left. I was looking for something, and I didn't find it there. I didn't like how it went for me, and so I peaced out. And I would remind us this morning, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, that groups are not about what you get, but about what you can give. Groups is an opportunity. Doing life with other people is an opportunity to extend grace to other people, to love other people, to serve other people just like Jesus served you. It's a beautiful picture of the church that when everybody is, is focused on somebody else, everybody is serving each other. But what we see in the church of Corinth and what Paul is drawing out is that when you are selfish and only thinking about you, things begin to crumble. Here's a reminder. We all need this. The heart of Jesus this morning is to seek and to save the lost. You, you remember the parables of, of even the, the 99 and the one there. Jesus will give this parable to, to essentially a bunch of religious people. And he says, think of it like this. There's a hundred sheep and one of them got lost. And if you lose a sheep, what do you do? And everyone goes, well, you go get it because that sheep is valuable. And Jesus goes, that's right. You leave the 99 and you go get the one. Jesus will say, I, I did not come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. Jesus has come to reach people who are far from him. And Paul is kind of leaning in here and he goes, listen, you, you can either create a bunch of disunity within the church about all these things that a bunch of church people want to bicker about, or you can be about the mission of the church, which is to be unified and to begin thinking, how can we reach this community with the story of Jesus? Paul, bottom line, he goes, if you want unity, it can't be all about you. The mission of the church isn't all about you. 
It must be about Jesus. He keeps going. Look, verse 11. He says, my brothers and sisters. I think he's restraining himself a little bit. If I was writing it, I'd probably be going my crazy jacked up brothers and sisters, but he's using some restraint, but he leans in again. And he says this, some from Chloe's household have informed me. This is how it always works though, right? It isn't the people, it's somebody else who gives you the call of the text. But somebody from the household has informed me that there are quarrels among you. There, there's some texts and some emails going around and uh, that there's some people who are bickering. And Paul goes, I, I've, I've heard about these things. He keeps going, verse 12. What I mean is this. Here's what's going on. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Paul goes, you... You guys are picking sides. You're going around and you're saying, well, I'm on Paul's side or I'm on Peter's side. And this is what we do. This is what we do. I don't like what you're doing or I don't like what you said. So I'm going to start building this wall. I'm going to wall this thing up and then I'm going to pick a side. And because I'm building a wall, now you have to pick a side. You have to determine uh, what side of the wall you want to be on. In church this morning, here's a good reminder for me, and hopefully it is for you, that in the context of church unity, when you pick sides, you divide the church. When you pick sides, you divide the church. And Paul, he's got them right where he wants them. He's about to do one of the first New Testament, what I call Jesus jukes. Look look what he does here. Gets them right where he wants them. Then he says this in verse 13. He drops the mic. Three words. Is Christ divided? Drop the mic. Jesus juked. You guys are all dividing and you're building up walls. And some of you are saying, no, no, Paul's more important or Peter's more important or Paul's is more important. And he goes to verse 10. He goes, wait a minute. I thought this thing was about Jesus. Is Jesus divided? He doubles down. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of of Paul? No, no. Is Jesus divided? Is there any disunity in Jesus? When you were walking with Jesus, when you hear stories about Jesus, do you hear him abounding in disunity? Did Jesus create disunity? Did Jesus wall this thing up? Did he say some people aren't allowed in the kingdom of heaven? Or did he say that all people are invited into the kingdom of heaven? Did Jesus wall up issues? Did he make you choose? I mean, really the only tension he created in the context of making choices is is when he said there's only one way to the Father and it's through me. Is Christ divided? Listen, you got to hear this this morning. A divided church, a divided church reflects a divided Christ. And a divided Christ does not exist. It's a perverted gospel. A divided church reflects a divided Christ. A divided church makes the gospel look untrue. If we say we believe in Jesus, but we live a selfish, unreconciled, picking sides, building walls, causing disunity with another, with each other, if we're going to live that kind of life, then we make the gospel look untrue. Because Paul says in verse 13, is Christ divided? It's not how Christ lived. It's not how he's called us to live. Did Jesus create disunity? That's not how it 
works. Verse 14, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no, so one can say, uh, no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Verse 16, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember. He's got some old age here. If I baptized anyone else, and again, you can feel Paul's heart here. He, he wasn't opposed to bapti baptism. He's not anti-baptism. What he's saying is, I don't want people twisting baptism. I don't want people saying, uh, because Paul baptized me, I follow Paul. You want to know why? Because Paul knows it's not about him. The most influential early church leaders all knew it wasn't about them. John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus, knew it wasn't about him. The early disciples knew it wasn't about them, and yet they had to be reminded over and over again from a loving, patient, humble son of God. Guys, it's not about you. And Paul is writing into the church and going, guys, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about picking sides. This whole thing is about Jesus. And, and Paul, he, he keeps going down this road. Look at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul even doubles down. He goes, listen, I know it's not about me because I don't want to get in the way of the story and the gospel of Jesus. And he says, listen, if I was eloquent with my words, if I was going to flash and show off my wisdom, that, that might lead people to follow me. But the cross doesn't say to follow Paul. The cross says to follow Jesus because Jesus Jesus is the one who went to the cross. And so Paul is looking at the church in Corinth and he's saying, guys, you are not displaying the power of the cross. And the reason why you're not displaying the power of the cross is because you are disunified, because you are bickering with one another and you have not been called to find unity in these topics that you're fighting about, but you have been called to be reminded of the most important thing, of this whole deal, that the whole church and the mission of the church does not surround you, but it surrounds the man that we call Jesus. Jesus is the one who will bring unity. And unity, I... I, I I would remind us this morning, does not mean that we all think the same thing. Unity doesn't mean that we all live the same way. In fact, Paul will go on through the book of 1 Corinthians, and he'll talk about the importance of, of diversity within the church. And the reason why he shows that, he goes, when you get more people who love Jesus doing life together, who are drastically different, it only empowers the message of the gospel more. Just look around. I mean, what, what is the world even unified about right now? Everybody is walling every topic up. Everybody is picking sides. And Paul essentially keeps going. He goes, I hope there are people who look drastically different in the context of your local church community because the more difference there is, the more power there will be in your unity. The more the world will keep looking at the church and go, how in the world 
Does that group of people function? They are so different. They're even on different sides of, of views of politics, and they even are on different sides of, of kind of different world conversations that are happening, and yet they are unified. They are serving each other. They are loving each other. They are sacrificing for the sake of each other. Why in a world with a group of people who are so different live in such a way? And Paul says this is the very reason why unity has the power to change the world. A group of people who are living drastically different and practicing deeper levels of gentleness and peace and humility for the sake of unity with one another. Here's what I think unity is. Unity is when you can be uniquely different from those around you while at the very same time united in the reality that Jesus is king. Unity is able to be around a group of people who are drastically different with one another and yet still be on the same page because they believe Jesus is who he says he is. And if you need any proof of this, just go on a mission trip, travel halfway around the world to a, a different environment and a different culture, people who don't even speak the same language as you, and yet if you have Jesus in common, I'm telling you, friends, you can be unified. You can be unified. Your lives can look extremely different. You live in different kinds of homes. Your, your daily rhythms are, are totally different, and yet you still have something in common if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You can have different skin color. You can speak different languages. You can have different political views, but all of those things don't play any part in the mutual view of Jesus. In fact, odds are, odds are the church on this side of heaven, on this side of heaven, probably will never get to a place where we'll be unified in our political views, our denominational views, our views on stylistic elements of worship or how we should dress or just about nearly any other conversation you want to have about church. And here's what I want to say this morning. That's okay. That's okay. Because the thing that holds the church together is Jesus. The thing that is at the heart, the thing that has fueled the church for 2,000 years is Jesus. And Paul says this morning, reminder, Jesus is not divided. That if you will discover and lean in about who Jesus is more, if I'll lean in, if there's a group of people who will hold Jesus in high esteem and go, he is the most important thing in my life, then Paul, this is what Paul says, Paul says, then you will actually be a living, a living community, a living cross. You'll be a living demonstration of the heart and the life of Jesus, and people will take notice. And here's been my prayer in light of this message, message and for our church. What a time. 2020, what a year. I didn't see this coming, and I don't think you did either. But I'm telling you, disunity is rising to the top. People are walling uh, things up. They're walling conversations up. They're, they're looking at you and they're looking at me and they're going, you better choose a side and you better get it right. And people are creating lines. What a time to be alive in the context of the local church and go, not us. Not us. We only need to be aligned on one thing. That Jesus did for you and Jesus did for me something 2,000 years ago. He saved us. And if you believe that, and if I believe that, 
Paul goes, you have an opportunity through your unity in light of your diversity to impact people, to have influence in a world who is far from God. But Paul says, it can't be about you. It can't be about me. We can't wall this thing up and make people choose to get on the left or get on the right. Paul says, no, 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 not so with us. With us, Jesus abounds. And Paul himself will say, I will gladly get out of the way. I, I might not even baptize you because I don't want you to say that you were baptized in the name of Paul because Paul has nothing to do with this. Because before I met Jesus, this is what Paul would say, before I met Jesus, I was a wreck. Paul would say, you want to know a sinner? You want to know what a sinner looked like? You should look at me. And without the grace of Jesus, I would be lost. The heart of Paul in the letter to the church in Corinth simply was this. Let's talk about Jesus more. Let's remember why the church even exists. And so here's what I'm going to do as we close out the message this morning. You can go ahead and whatever elements you'll be using for communion, your bread and your juice. And I could think of no better way for us to remind ourselves in the context of a, of a message that was preached on unity, but to take communion together. Because communion, I'm telling you, it is this reminder. Jesus in heaven knew this. Just a couple of days before he would be crucified with his disciples. I mean, God loves us so much that he would put this rhythm of communion into the sacraments of the local church because he knows that you are prone to forget and I am prone to forget what, what is the most important thing. And Jesus says to his guys, what you're about to see, what you're about to witness, it, it won't even make sense to you. But the story of Easter, as you see me going to the cross and dying, and then, and then three days later come back from the dead, what you're about to see, everything will hinge on this. And he'll say to his guys, never forget. Never forget. You are about to see something that will literally change the world. And it has everything to do with me. We take communion as a church to remember that you did not save you, that you did not purchase your life back. You did not reconcile your broken relationship with God. Jesus did. Jesus did all of that for you. And he is at the core. He is what is fueling the local church. And so before we take communion, I wanna encourage you and and for myself as well, that before we would acknowledge that through literally taking the bread and the juice, what a shame it would be for us as we would go to the communion table before the feet of Jesus, holding grudges, not owning where we've created disunity, not owning where we have built up walls literally through, through uh, you know, uh, kind of promoting disunity. Literally what we're doing, Paul is saying, you are keeping people away from the gospel that changed your life. We would own that this morning, that we would repent of that, which is not easy, that we would ask the Spirit inside of us this morning, show us our selfishness. God, where have we made this about us? 
Where have I made this about me and my personal choices and what I want and what serves me best? God, help us this morning that we would put those aside. And the only thing that would be on our hearts and our minds would be Jesus. It was the only thing that we will ever be unified about. It's the only thing. So as we take communion this morning, let's do it. Remind it again that we're on the same team. And our unity, if it would abound, has the power to change the communities in which we live and literally all over this world. I would remind you that it was Jesus willing to go to the cross, allowing his body to be broken so that you and I may have an opportunity in this life to respond and receive salvation in all its fullness. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. So let's take the bread. And in that crucifixion process, make no mistake, friends, it was bloody, it was painful. Not only was Jesus' body broken, but his blood spilled right up to the moment that he would take his final breath. And even within that, the heart of the Father was that you and I may have the opportunity to receive forgiveness in all its fullness. Let's take the cup. pray with me. Father, forgive me this morning for where I have built up my walls. Forgive your church this morning for where we have created disunity, where we have not been called to. Would we remember that this whole thing has to do with you? That this morning we've shown up to worship you. We've sang songs this morning to you. We've jumped into your word again to be refreshed by you, to be encouraged by you, to be reminded about you. We've taken communion this morning because of you, because 2,000 years ago, you died for us. And so help us to be reminded that one of the core rhythms of your church that you have established is unity, that we would be a church that would fight and rally and center the mission of this local church around you because that's the only way we'll ever be able to find unity together on this side of heaven. We come from different backgrounds. We have different views on life. Our lives even look different from one person to the next, and yet we rally every single week to be reminded that you are the most important thing. And I pray during this season, this year of 2020, in the midst of just turmoil and disunity and people pointing fingers and people yelling and there is hurt and there are wounds and it is so complicated and complex 
that we would hear the words and the encouragement that Paul would write to the church in Corinth where he would say, keep Jesus at the forefront and love people. If you keep this thing about Jesus and if you love people, the gospel will naturally spread. May that be our heart this morning. In this difficult season, that we would hold tight to Jesus, that our unity would abound, that we would love each other in the midst of our diversity. And people, people's lives would be changed because they would see it. That was Paul's heart for his city, for the people in Corinth. And I pray that would be our heart for the towns we live in all over this country. Father, we give it to you. This is your movement. This is your church. May we live and act and move in how you have called us to. Because at the end of the day, it's all about you. And your church prays all of this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for being with us. We're excited to continue on through the book of 1 Corinthians. I hope you can join us next Sunday. I hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll see you next week.